witticism. Colloquialism. Segway. You're such an egotist. Yes. By the way, guys, I'm really humble. Well, how do you do? Now when you get for free. Oh, God, it's awful. Bad Philosophy. Episode 161. Recorded on March 1st, 2015. Zero to what? Hey, it's Bad Philosophy. We are back for another episode. I'm your host, Stephen Torrance, and I'm here with two wonderful people. And we're going to talk about startups and stuff. So and first stuff. off, I'll introduce our uh, guest to the show and uh, first time that she is appearing on Bad Philosophy. Potentially the last Stephen. Potentially the last so, I mean, so we don't have the until. best track record with guests. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, at the very least, so, so uh, Danny, go ahead and introduce yourself and say a little bit about um, why you are here at the table right now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Danny Toth. I'm here because they promised me beer and gummy beans and jelly beans, which I got. Um, I am new to the startup world. I'm new to Austin. Um, and I guess the best way to characterize myself is I'm an observer of the startup scene, first time approaching the West Coast. I come from uh, North Carolina, college town, and so... Oh, whereabouts in North Carolina? I'm just uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Totally asking for personal reasons, yeah, not... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> my, my sweetheart's family's from... Well, it lives oh, out really? there. They're actually from yeah. Ohio, but they live in uh, Asheville. No way! That's a great town. It is yeah. amazing. Yeah, I'm it from is the, beautiful. I am from the basketball country of North Carolina. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm supposed to say yeah. at this point... Uh, Go Tar Heels. That's what I'm supposed to say. Go Tar Heels. No, you're not. Uh, I've, I've been trained. That's that's my line. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, I'm, clearly it's touched your nerve. Come, it's coming my in rifle. with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. Coming um, in with the uh, with the, the perfect opening line then is uh, Kevin Saunders. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Kevin. <laughs> it was a bit of a stab in the dark. I knew it was one either either one you'd be happy for me to say or one that you wouldn't, and I, I did it anyway. Well, actually, there's about five or six, so uh, you're, you're okay, screwed anyway. Cool. <laughs> awesome. I'm a big, big fan of sports. Uh, we get a, like, a graph of the interlocking rivalries to, just so we can avoid I'm mean, sure the... someone's made that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, can, I can get that too. You could probably, like, okay, I'm not, you don't actually of, have to we're, do we're, that. We're Plenty of that. video montages. Yeah. And, you know, too. Yeah, I got all kinds of stuff right I went there. to a school where we struggled <laughs> to have a rival, so... <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we did for a short time. There we, was that... We tried real hard. We did. Well, we had... Yeah, anywho. Ra <laughs> Raiderville Diaries, anyone? For, for uh, any no. of you out there who would like to hear about the one time we kind of had a rivalry at, at Texas Tech. Um, but yeah, we're here to uh, ostensibly to talk about the various philosophical issues that go into startups. I mean, in a very broad sense, we'll kind of narrow it down, look at a few examples, look at some quotes from thinkers and uh, I guess what would what we call them thought leaders in uh, kind so, of yeah. the the meta business you of call them thought leaders if you call books word burgers <laughs> <laughs> where did that come from just curious I right saw a tweet okay <laughs> I don't remember who I just I just wanted to say word burgers on the podcast oh should we plug the beer that we've oh, got yes. on we're drinking this? two beers mm -hmm. um, what are we drinking we're drinking philosophizer which might be the first time we've had it on the show I've bought it because of the show. It's poetic. <laughs> no, didn't we buy some for the, uh, well, on this show, it was the guest appearance with uh, Robert Bapps. I think we had some from also, that, yes. Which um, was not a bad philosophy episode, so I guess we can't count it. Yeah, I mean, he was on our episode too, but that, we didn't drink Philosophizer mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah, we had some for him. Um, this is uh, bottled, brewed and bottled in Austin, Texas, ostensibly. It is a handcrafted Belgian-style Saison. Delicious. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are also drinking... The Dogfish Head Piercing Pills. Dogfish Head is one of my favorite brands, of course, but this one has some fruit, some pear in it, some mm. pear tea. But I didn't, I didn't catch the what? tea. Yeah. I, I, it, was a, it was a nice beer. I didn't... I didn't uh... That's the extent of my analysis yeah. of it, too. It's a nice beer. It's a nice, it's a nice beer. beer. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not an IPA, and I'm kind of fed up with those, so good enough. <laughs> I, I am a fan of, uh, of sort of inoffensive... Uh, beers, <laughs> coffees, teas, you, you, you know, mainstays, right? Mm -hmm. You just like the session lager that you you brought, and just like yeah, that's good. This is this well, is a thing I, that will get me through. One of my favorites. Stuff. It's not really a microbrewer anymore, mm -hmm. but uh, I like Schreinerbach, and I I when I lived in Ohio, there was a bar that had it, and it was my favorite bar for that reason. Um, but they make Shiner Premium beer now, and like Yay. it's like no description whatsoever. It's just it's beer. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lager. It's like the most inoffensive kind of beer ever. I'm like, 
<laughs> Great. I have a 12 pack of that in my fridge right now. <laughs> I don't know. My policy on beer is like, to quote Dave Barry, drink it and look around for more. So, oh, yeah, fantastic. Enough, so perfect time to do that. Well, <laughs> Thanks, um, looking on down to down the, uh, the topic of the show, I suppose, uh, <laughs> for, for more things to say. Danny, I, I hope you don't mind being sort of a, I won't say devil's advocate here, but like an, an advocate slash expert. Advocate. Yeah. <laughs> expert witness. Like, you're an expert witness. the closest thing we can find. Yeah. An Dude, expert observer representing, uh, you know, a broad knowledge of startup culture, probably broader than what we have. I know I will nothing. do my very best. I, have I know spent, cool. I've spent the past six months just meeting people and learning more about what I want to do as I transition out of State Department and contractor work. So okay. all this is new. All this is exciting. And there are a lot of people who've got a lot of strong opinions. <laughs> on uh, this topic and that, we're we're different short directions. Of those, yeah. yeah. Bad no doubts about so, that. Yeah. Well, you are currently you have uh, Peter Thiel's 0 to 1. One of my on favorite the, books the table now. Here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, tell tell us a bit about Peter Thiel and then um, I hear you have kind of an opening quote from him on uh, that'll sort of get us get us on the yeah. In the general plane of imminence that yeah. we're going to be speaking from. <laughs> yeah, Peter Thiel was on the ground floor of some of the top, the biggest um, you know, firms that we see. He was one of the first, uh, if not the first funder of Facebook, he was definitely one of the first to write a check. Um, he co-founded <laughs> PayPal and Palantir, and his team um, includes Elon Musk, as we all know from Tesla. Fame. Oh yeah, they work together. Um, and, he's also, and he's also been very connected with SpaceX and LinkedIn. Cool. Um, and he also has a scholarship program where he gives students who win it, um, oh, I, I don't know how much, but a significant amount of money, enough so that they quit college and go run their ideas. Wow. So, um, <laughs> right. that's, so he is very... Can you call it a scholarship anymore? Yeah, I don't know. A scholar, an anti-scholarship. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. He's very anti-establishmentarian, you know. Yeah. Disestablishmentarian. Dis Disestablishmentarian. Yeah. If that's yeah. actually a word. Where did um, that come from? Well, what I mean, it? people, when I was in elementary school, people liked to say anti disestablishmentarianism. Right. As just a really just long as a, word. As a word to say. To say. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know if it has any meaning beyond that. That's, another, that's in the running for show title as oh. well. We've got a couple of. Oh, I, and we should comment maybe before we move on we're recording here in Whole Foods in Austin, yeah. Texas. Thanks Whole Foods. Shout out to them for having an awesome space <laughs> and, and not kicking us out yet. <laughs> yet. Yay. Clock is ticking. <laughs> so Peter Thiel. Um, Peter Thiel I like a lot because he, like Mark Andreessen, who's another frequent angel, he's like a super angel investor, um, are very vocal about what, you know, very strong opinions, very direct. Um, and so there's been a lot of kind of themes uh, in the startup community, if you're going to fail, fail fast, which is basically this idea that if you have an idea, try it and then see if it works or not. Um, and basically, a lot of these guys, what Peter Thiel came out and said in direct contrast to this was, no, don't try and fail fast. Win and Ooh. make it successful. <laughs> and this is kind of the root of his philosophy, um, which is that what you're doing in a startup is creating the future that we all want and you and, and it's not just waiting passively for it to come it's directing it and building things that will change it huh. um, so he believes very strongly in that so if you don't have a good idea you probably shouldn't be you know trying to turn it into a company and that's good news I have no yeah. good ideas okay so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, it, you know, the, maybe not having that idea that oh, it's gonna be a thing. No, it's yeah. gonna, yeah. <laughs> I want I want to be the guy who makes glass tubes. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, that's a that's an obscure sports nights reference for all you Aaron Sorkin's fans. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love early yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Um, late Aaron Sorkin has not so much depressed me a little bit. So what, <laughs> you you have a quote highlighted here that that kind of. Brings yeah. us into this. Yeah, it, it kind of runs on that, you know, rejecting of the establishment and kind of the importance of what we can do. Um, says, in a world of gigantic administrative bureaucracies, both public and private, searching for a new path might seem like hoping for a miracle. But actually, if American business is going to succeed, we are going to need hundreds or even thousands of miracles. This would be depressing, but for one crucial fact. Humans are distinguished from other species by our ability to work miracles, and we call these miracles technology. So clearly has a very high opinion of what people can do and create. And I would say is, you know, despite not a curmudgeon, but a very direct approach <laughs> in this book, I think he's very optimistic about, you know, our competencies, um, you know, and what we can do in the world. And I think that that's what makes the startup world so exciting. Everybody who's in it believes that they are changing the world in some way. Hmm. Um, and that that's, that's incredibly, um, you know, important if it were in fact the case. 
Um, but as we know, most startups do fail. What's the percentage? It's something I hear a lot of numbers thrown around. It depends. Um, okay. <laughs> it, it depends because it's one thing if you're an established company and you fail. It's another thing if you're a guy still in the basement stage and you're working on it after you get home from work. And so if you quit it, does that count as failing Failure, or yeah. did it even start? Um, there's a lot of shades of gray, but they, the number that they like to throw around is about 90, 95% of all startups will fail. Mm -hmm. But I don't even know how that statistic works because something might fail again the next year or you might have really strong initial growth for the first couple of years and then you can't get your series A funding, which is you know the next jump up of big money that you need. And so you just fail later. It goes, you know? uh, just as an aside, startup funding is you get a, a seed round which is like it's the hendi, first time someone gives you money and then yeah. you have a series A which is kind of the second time someone really gives you money. I feel like series A really, is a bad name for the second time somebody gives you something. Well, <laughs> that, that's because it's a trend. Um, back in the 90s, back in the 90s and earlier than that, series A was considered the first and it would be giving you money, a venture capitalist giving yeah. you a bunch of money. Uh -huh. um, but now since the cost of actually creating um, a new technology company has dropped so dramatically that you don't need a million dollars to start a company and to get a team. You need maybe 500,000. And so because the amounts of money are getting smaller um, and based on times economically, if people are doing better or doing worse, then um, that money gets smaller and smaller. So usually the first round is called seed round mm -hmm. and that's either by an angel investor or a super angel or accredited investors who are among your families and friends and um, then, or venture capital. Mm -hmm. And then you can have something called a bridge round that comes after that. And then you've got series A, B, C, <laughs> then you go public. It's all changing all the time, well, yeah. you know? <laughs> there, there's a lot of ambiguity. It's nuts. But generally it's yeah. like, you, you want to be, you want to continue to get money, even if, and, and this is, the, Perhaps the paradoxical thing for a lot of folks who look at this is even if a startup is is not bringing in a significant amount of money, they're not they're not bringing in revenue, um, and may be very far away from being profitable. Meaning they are bringing in enough revenue to cover their operating costs, which uh, is huge. Most yeah. most companies don't get there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that may, even PayPal is not a profitable company. They're really? sort of projected yeah. to be profitable within like five to ten years. And mm -hmm. so they, PayPal did has they continually had to... Unbought by Google, or not Google, eBay? They, I believe they did. Uh, yeah, they got bought by independent eBay. again. Okay. Yeah. I remember when that happened because that was a big deal. Yeah, eBay wasn't doing so hot. I think they sold off PayPal. They sold off Skype. Like, they still use eBay. Uh, yeah. I use it to buy back issues of uh, McSweeney's Quarterly. <laughs> uh, hey, point for another thing we really like on the show. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is, is the general idea is funding for startups is based on the trust that that company will be profitable on a certain time horizon mm -hmm. that is uh, like that, that works out for those giving the money, right? They're like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable with getting this return on my investment. 15 years out or 20 years out, right? Uh, and, and that, you know, judging it is a very fuzzy game. Um, yeah, the only thing, the, one of my favorite venture capitalist friends said that the only thing that we know about financial projections is that they will be wrong. There's no rules top to bottom in this industry. Um, so it's uh, usually what happens is companies are funded um, in steps. Like mm -hmm. when's the, you know, they're, they're going to give you enough funding to hit the next interesting milestone. Like can you launch your minimum viable product, which is like your first, you know, way of telling whether or not something's going to work, your mm -hmm. very first product. Mm -hmm. Is it by bringing on some flashy new co-founder? Is it by um, bringing in, you know, all kinds of, you know, it, 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 if you're hitting an interesting milestone, companies want to be funded that way. And the timeline for this, I was really surprised, is so short. You can... You can switch funding probably every three months. And so a CEO always has to be hustling for venture capital in order to make those interesting milestones. Hmm. Um, hmm. So that's, that's how that works. So the, the concept of, of I mean, a, a business that is invested in, that uh, is expected to grow rapidly in relation to the rest of, of the stock market is nothing new. I mean, we, we've seen, I, I just finished reading um, David Graeber's uh, Debt, The First 5,000 Years, mm -hmm. and it was fascinating to me to hear about, like, startup culture and sort of the, the same kind of bubble bust uh, phenomenon happening around um, trading companies. In, in like 1600s 
you know, England and and uh, and the Netherlands. Like you, you had you had sort of this um, dissociation of information from demand, where there was a lot of uh, stock trading going on, a lot of speculation on you know people filing for companies and giving out shares that would be you know. <laughs> that would that would be turned right around and sold to other people speculating on other companies mm -hmm. and this sort of weird you know uh, inflation of around just merely ideas right like mm -hmm. like just hey this thing is going to be amazing mm -hmm. like uh, I think of a recent example the Onion has done a parodies of TED Talks called Onion Talks and I one of them is I've not watched these but I'm one of them is too. literally a guy getting up on stage and just being like cars that run on compost. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Instead of gas, they run on compost. Oh now, God. I've had the idea. All we need to do is, is make it happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're already halfway there. <laughs> so just yeah. this, this sort oh, of notion that... Yeah, like, it, it's... And it's funny because, like, running... Underlying a startup, underlying, I mean, any system, really, in the world, are humans, right? And we yeah. have these sort of uh, weird proclivities to uh, inflate certain ideas and, and certain notions. And, uh, it, and it's funny, how, you know, I, I, like, I like Peter's idea of, hey, this is like the way that we drive the world forward, that we create the future. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in his opinion, is it, is it the only way? Is it the best way? Like, is he... It just it's, it seems to be like you're relying on a lot of um, you're you're externalizing a lot of uh, the or ignoring a lot of the human cost of running this thing right like a lot of the people in this situation are banking on a high degree of uncertainty about whether this that's is going the definition to, to of a startup out, that's right? the definition of a startup is operating a or trying to grow a business based on projections future profit and appear in a in a series of great uncertainty that's I think that's definition. that's kind of Peter's definition, That's right? several definitions, yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Especially um, Eric Reese with The Lean Startup as well, which is a That's very right. interesting book. Yeah. So, and, and Eric's, just, just to, to mention that real quick, what is his, what is the difference in Eric's philosophy of startups in comparison to Peter's? Actually, um, Peter, Peter made a pretty good dig at him in Zero to One by okay. using the quote that I mentioned because the whole premise of uh, The Lean Startup is, you know, try, pivot, experiment, be fast, be cheap, um, you know, use... Pivot meaning you know, like... Pivot to change the idea if it's not selling, if it's not giving you customers, mm -hmm. or to know to shut it down and to listen and seek out customer advice to decide, you know, what to do or where you should go and just be constantly getting feedback from your market. And, you know, and Peter Thiel's like, no, you either have a good idea or you don't. <laughs> and it really so, sounds, you know, yeah. we, we see there, I, I got I to gotta bring you around to the, the kind of the philosophical thing, because that's one of our rules. We have to have, yes, a, we have, to have a philosophical, philosophical topic. Because um, for a long time we didn't. Is this, this sounds a lot to me like the difference between deontology and consequentialism, which if you've, if you've listened to the show, if you've ever taken an ethics class... You Steve and I've been that, on the show and I don't always remember the difference between right. deontology so, and yeah, uh, ontological. It, it very simply, so a lot of us are familiar with uh, utilitarianism. Right. You judge the rightness or wrongness of an action by the good it produces mm -hmm. in a quantifiable sense. So for a startup, it may be you, you judge the rightness or wrongness of an idea by the amount of customers who sign up for it or who pay, give you money, right? Who sort of you, if, you if get they're, if they're paying us, it must be working, right? <laughs> um, versus yeah, I disagree there. But. Well, <laughs> and, and I'm just I'm making the, the comparison here, making the analogy. Mm -hmm. Deontology would be maybe you don't get a lot of uh, customers signing up, but it is uh, like the right idea. So. It's something is good. A startup idea is good if it is the right idea. In other words, it, there's a, a principled way of, of looking at this, which is that maybe the idea embodies certain principles of technology or culture or society or financial mechanisms, right? There's mm -hmm. some sort of generalizable ideal trait that this idea has, uh, maybe even an ineffable one which is only recognizable to someone who's been through a lot of startups, mm -hmm. right? Someone mm -hmm. like Peter Thiel or Paul yeah. Graham or uh, yeah, these, these <laughs> Elon who, Musk, who, right? Who invented the right thing at the right time. And exactly. And they than, just sort of, you know, Steve Jobs. Yeah. They just, he knows the right thing when he sees it. Mm -hmm. And these are two, ethics can work under both of these systems. You can say, oh, well, I, you know, this is the right thing to do. 
You don't kill people because it's bad. You don't kill people because it's the wrong thing. Yeah. Like, it just, it's sort of a, not really a fiat, and there's mm-hmm. various ways of coming at it, but it yes. is starting from the assertion and then getting to good or bad actions. Yeah. Versus uh, utilitarianism, which says, no, wait, wait and see, yeah. look at the results, and then that determines whether the thing was yeah. right or wrong. So it sounds like Peter Thiel and, and Eric Ries are sitting on the two sides of the fence with this. So what, like, what are some things that Peter sure. Thiel's... Yeah. Well, well, you, you disagree <laughs> with it. Why, why do I you do, just... I, I do, because, and one of the things that I like about the startup world is that I don't have to sit here and, at least for me, I'm not a philosopher, obviously. I've never yeah, done philosophy ever. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we call this show Don't, that, don't let that stop you. So. I, I, don't, I don't find those kind of arguments to paralyze me. I don't find those kind of different things, like, you know... Um, Why would they paralyze you? Well, because there's, I don't think there's such a thing as a right idea. There's no such thing as a right company that should get funded. There are right problems to tackle. There are right and urgent missions that we should undertake. But any hmm. given company or any given you know, idea isn't good just because it exists and it goes after the right problem. And I'll give you an example. You're talking about Elon Musk with Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things in Thiel's book that he goes on um, that he devotes a whole chapter to is what makes a startup succeed or fail. And only in the question of um, environmental improving, uh, what, what, what would be the best term for that? Environmental sustainability, oh, yeah, like things like, like that, like green energy. Sure. How do you do it? Um, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. And so many green energy companies have failed. I mean, we remember the Solyndra scandal. Um, in, in the sense I, of I never don't. achieving profitability. Never achieving profitability, yeah. folding. There was a scandal with the president um, very early in his administration where the government funded a flashy solar panel startup called Solyndra that ended up failing and very embarrassing, the administration. Yeah. Um, but the only and the only successful idea to come out of it um, so far has been Elon Musk's Tesla because he found the right business model, um, pursued the right team, and he's completely... Um, you know, he's going after all of the dealers and industry as it as it stands now. So what, and it's successful for a reason. Would um, you say find the right team, find the right business model? Yeah. Uh, the right business model to achieve profitability. The right team to achieve profit. Like it's sort of you're still it's kind of goal oriented. Yeah. And, and what I would say a posteriori, right? Like like you sort of. I don't know what that means either. You judge uh, after. After the fact, right? Okay. Versus a priori, which is before the fact. Um, a priori knowledge needs no justification. A posteriori knowledge or statements are justified by something that comes after them. Okay. So the success of Tesla is, or the rightness of Tesla is judged in hindsight. But it sounds to me like Peter Thiel is saying the rightness of any particular startup can be judged in foresight. I just don't think that it's about rightness. I don't think that it applies to companies only because there are so many companies out there doing so many things. Let's say, you know, when Mark Zuckerberg came up with Facebook, I mean, for those of us who've seen the movie, there was somebody else who claimed that they'd also yeah. ident- came up, come up with the same idea. At the same well, time that... Well, was already a yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah. At the it, same yeah. time that Mark was developing it, there were hundreds of other people probably doing the exact same thing. Right. And one happened to succeed. Does it make it right? I don't really think that that's the, the question. It made it successful, to be I don't, sure. I don't think we're... I, I think there might be a, a confluence here of, of right meaning successful versus right meaning morally correct. Mm-hmm. And I get um, what you mean. I think it might mean conflation. I probably mean conflation. Yeah. Uh, probably. Um, Whatever. It's okay. <laughs> but that's, you know, you mean no, con- one thing, no, I mean a different thing. Con- conflation is a very, I think, just brief rabbit trail, mm-hmm. conflation is a very important idea in philosophy. It comes up a lot. It's, yeah. it's referring to the, it, referring to different things with the same name. Okay. Right. Or the same word. I, I call that something else you're, you're conflating two concepts yeah. conflation, so people, people can yeah. essentially argue past each other using sure. the same words well, it's, it sounds to me like that may be happening here fallacy. with the word right okay because so from, let's, from let's what I'm hearing Stephen <laughs> is when, you're, when you're saying that, it, that, that something is right from a small business standpoint you mean successful um, you're not, not saying that it was the best option or that it was... It, and and it success was, in terms of profit. Yeah, making money. Right. It, 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 Facebook has 500 billion people who are subscribed to it. Yeah. Or in the case of, um, or in the, case of uh, the startup world is not necessarily to be making money, but to be hitting those interesting milestones on the way to profitability. Yes. And I showing think that's showing signs of gotcha. making money. Yeah, yeah. interstitial. I think, um, I think that's an important distinction just because unlike starting a cafe where you're either profitable or you're not, startups mm-hmm. are premised on, like we talked about earlier, gambling on the future. 
And, Does this um, look like it's going to make money? Does yeah. it still look like it's going to make money? Mm-hmm. Are you making the proper steps that we've seen in other places that look like they're going to make money? I, I have, I, Are you I building something so, that people want? But, yeah. but Peter Thiel, doesn't he specifically say... You are not a lottery ticket. This is not gambling. Like, like, doesn't he specifically rail against the idea of it simply being a roll of the dice? Whether yes, your but company is successful is. or not. Inherently it is. You think it, so? Because, you disagree with him there? Well, because it's not a roll of the dice. What he's saying is basically be smart about it. Um, you know, be successful. Um, and what he means when he says that you are not a lottery ticket is basically you're not going to be successful based on luck. You're going to be huh. successful based on a lot of things. Just because a lot of it is a speculative, to use the negative turn of phrase, but it's a very uncertain market, it's a very uncertain industry, um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's based on luck. You know, and none of these successful companies that we've seen, um, you know, like Facebook, SpaceX, you name, you know, all these companies, they, they didn't get good because they were lucky. They got um. good because they did very See, well. I, I'm, I'm curious about this because I would, I would, <laughs> um, I would perhaps posit the, were they better than the other people doing this? You know, we, we looked at the evidence of Facebook. Mm-hmm. What, was Facebook better than MySpace and Friendster? And that's why it's successful. Or was yeah. one, and, and not necessarily better in a moral sense, but just sort of, is, are, we say they're successful because, or they, we say they were better because they were successful, or can we point to specific choices they made that other ones didn't that were eventually their downfall? I have the mm. same issue with the word better that I do with the word right. Sure, and I, and I totally understand <laughs> that. And I totally understand that. But so, so this, this sort of idea of, well, just be successful, just win, just do it, I say, okay, well, putting in a lot of hard effort doesn't really make a difference if the boulder's going to roll down the hill at the end of the day. No, it doesn't. That's so right. how do you know which boulder to push? Oh, man. How do you know... <laughs> That's a question for the venture capitalists. That's a question, it is. Oh, it is a question for the venture so, so here's the thing. Venture capitalism is a profession. It yes. seems like there are repeatable... There are things that, that can be discerned by certain individuals about companies with repeatable uh, like confidence, right? Like sort of these guys have a magic, either a mathematical or sort of a, a intuitive either way. formula for identifying something that is going to be profitable. At I least mean, overall. And the very premise of a venture capital firm is to be sort of a meta startup. You are trying to build a collection of companies not necessarily all of which will be successful, but at least like one or two of which will be successful in a in a power law mm-hmm. distribution mm-hmm. where you know one of them may bring you eighty percent of the profits, and the next highest one will bring you ten percent, etc., etc. And and so so it seems to me like there is there is something like universal or general or deontological <laughs> about this whole thing, well, right? Let's, we, we should unpack that a little bit, um, okay. just because what's interesting about venture capital is that not every firm is the same. Okay. Um, every firm, and entrepreneurs should know this, if they don't know this, they're not probably not going to get any money, um, but they know that each venture capital firm has different things that they look for, different kind of clients that they go after. For example, some of my friends are clients in VC for work for VC firms that are specifically healthcare based and they're looking for certain kind of health technologies. Some venture capitalists would be very interested in some kind of like gaming innovation mm-hmm. okay. and some would slam the door in your face. So what each VC firm tries to do is create their formulas. Um, for success, but ultimately it's a little bit difficult to do and venture capitalists stay around um, Because of the fees that they get from their limited partners. So what they do is they call in funds um, Every 10 years from the people who fund them and that can be anything from universities private pensioners um, States, you know, they get the money and they invest it in companies that they do well So that, Wait, that they hope they're will do well. like tax dollar funded VC funds it's no, because every tax dollar fund or things like that is invested. It's it's to get more money. It's not just sitting in a bank somewhere. That's where they tie it oh, up. Oh, right. So, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I wouldn't make it a scandal about it, but uh, every, v, every VC firm is different. And like you said, it is a little bit People tend to get prickly meta. about how, they, how you know? their like, yeah. tax oh, dollars course, are being spent. Of course, so. yeah. So like, like you're saying, it is a little bit meta, um, wherein every VC is trying to determine the formula so that they can become as successful as right. a lot of these other great funds that we see out in California. And, and to, like to generalize it a little bit more, like a, a venture capital fund is traded often like any other financial security mm-hmm. on, on markets. So people will sort of meta-speculate. They will, they will speculate that, hey, venture capital fund blue 
is going to get a 15% return because they have, you know, they have this hot new startup in their in their portfolio. Except what's interesting and venture about venture capital startups, firm Green maybe yeah. won't because they don't have the track record or whatever. So. Except with venture capital startups, um, what is exciting about this industry in particular is that sometimes maybe you'll just get your money back. It depends on the conditions of the term sheet. But when you're talking about returns, you're not talking about 15% your returns. You're talking about 5,000% returns. Yeah, you have the potential yeah. to just <laughs> knock it out of the park. You so. do, you do. And every uh, firm wants to do that, um, <laughs> either through acquisitions well, or IPOs. So I'm really curious. Are, are venture capitalists evaluated based on their um, success in, in like consistently picking successful companies? In, in other words, like p- picking companies that are uh, that that have achieved a certain return, like five x or six x or ten x or whatever. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure. Um, hmm. What companies like to do is be creative. A lot of their value comes from their networks. Um, a lot of their value comes with who they know, who they talk to, where the good ideas are coming from, because they all believe in the same uh, mindset that startup people believe in, which is that you are actively creating the future. This is not just trading around and putting money into different pockets and different you know spots. This is actively looking for things that are going to change everything that we know about the world. Ah, uh, but but that seems so. Like the, the, the whole notion of uh, predicting the future, being certain that something is going to change the world, feels really like, again, I, I feel like there's a ton of risk associated with that. Of right? course. Like there's, there's just wild speculation across the board, and yet like where, where do the, the good pickers come from? <laughs> well, I think, that, I think that good pickers come from good ideas, and I think that, um, and you know, I think one of the major things that Peter talks about in this book is that it's not just about waiting for a positive future and are you going to be a good picker or not. It's mm-hmm. about picking, it's about planning, and it's about designing it. And so one of the things, for you know, I'll give some context. In the book he talks about the United States in the 1950s and 60s. We were wildly optimistic. We were wildly technologically advanced and advancing at that time. Mm-hmm. We sent people to space, you know, and that's not something that, you know, we can sit around and just predict like, oh, were they a good picker to have picked space flight? Yeah. You know, it's more direct than that. It's we did it. And yeah, that, and because that's important. We, we had Von Braun, we had the engineers, we that's had right. funding, and we and we had right. nobody standing our way yeah. in our way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Soviets, eh, you know, they mm-hmm. they may have been a, a sort of a, a puppet or, mm-hmm. or a straw man mm-hmm. enemy, yeah. but they really. But also, couldn't have when done it, it, when it yeah. comes to VC firms, um, a misconception about VC firms is that they kind of just give money and kind of let it go. But VC firms take a very active role in the running of a company. They will sit on the company's mm-hmm. board. Um, usually, what's pretty standard. Um, um, uh, is that you'll have maybe five board members in an early stage company and a VC or will be one or two of those board members because these are the guys with the know-how. Um, a big draw for them is they give you the money, but they also do whatever it takes to help you succeed. Mm-hmm. And that means connecting the right staff, connecting the right resources, um, bringing on new, maybe a new CEO. Um, the VCs can have the power legally to remove the CEO. Um, and things like that. So they take a very active role because they want a good return on their investment. Otherwise, they just want to ship it off and sell it to get a return as quickly as possible if they think the idea isn't going anywhere. So the VCs are a very intensive part of what actually happens for these firms. And that can be some of the best benefits that these companies get from them Hmm. is the experience and many years of uh, guidance. How do you tell a bad venture capital firm? What what sinks a a VC? To be honest, I'm not completely sure, uh, but I think that it's a lot of the same reasons why companies might be bad, and that means um, bad chemistry. Um, Like if you, I mean, because the startups are so small, basically chemistry and, you know, they talk about, it's so important, so they'll talk about things like dating your co-founder, you know, you know, matrimony with your co-founder, you know, like it's very intense. And the same can be for the people you work for um, and the the VCs that are helping to fund you. If you've got a general partner who doesn't care about you, doesn't mesh well with you, that doesn't work. If you've got a lawyer who's an asshole, you know, or who doesn't know his stuff, that can tank you as well. Um, But a lot of the personality stuff, um, if you have limited partners in a VC firm that are not contributing the money that they need to contribute, if you can't guarantee that you can get your money to invest in these companies, that's also going to show that it's going to tank. I mean, there's a bunch of different things, and what I like is that a lot of them are people-based. Yeah, I, I, I guess what, what, what fascinates me about what you just said there is, like, asshole, matrimony, mm-hmm. dating, chemistry, <laughs> like, all these these really not 
quantitative measurements of yeah. uh, like the the uh, gosh, like you know, how do you even describe that? Like the the health of the system of people, mm-hmm. right? In that in that particular company or VC firm, right? The and it, it's, it just seems to be like like grounded in this what seems to be a very quantifiable, very or very quantified, maybe not quantifiable, but very yeah. quantified, very uh, numbers driven, very technological, very particular, very engineering driven field is this super mushy human oh, elements. Yeah, <laughs> the, the wooiness mm-hmm. uh, we, we've talked about yeah. on, on previous episodes. I like, mean, I hate to disappoint you, but I think that <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, the benefit... That's impossible. Because so far, it seems like what, you know, what we're trying to do in this podcast is to kind of come up with you know, an answer or try to discuss Is that what we're to do? different facets of like, I'm not, I'm you know, trying to drink well, beer. Well, if not, <laughs> well, well, if not that, then everybody who's actually in the ecosystem is. Everybody's looking for that perfect formula. Everybody's looking for what makes the best venture capital firm. But do, the, are the they all working is, on then, the same definition of perfection though, right? Like, are they all working toward the same thing, which I is just like depends. make buku bucks, right? Yeah. Like, is that sort of the so, ultimate wanna, telos? But there's a lot word. to get from point A to point B, but there's a great quote about this and, I, and I'm free. It's like a bumper sticker kind of quote and it's like <laughs> you know um trust people who seek the truth and doubt those who find it yeah you know it's like you know oh, it's oh, it's, a, oh. it, it, it's nebulous enough where yeah. the you can trust hmm. in the confusion of it and be wary of anyone who's certain about mm-hmm. you know what's the only way to raise money what's the only way to yeah. do this or that and that's what makes it frustrating for and not for most people or something i think i think kind of <laughs> Is, is something that is a little bit different because the, the startups we're talking about and, and particularly the ones that you've mentioned are those, these ones who want to create the future who want to be the next, the next thing Facebook, Twitter, what have you um, these, these gigantic sort of, with these, these pie in the sky goals, which are great, we need some of that but I'm really curious about these, these smarter things that, smaller things, that I don't even know if I would call a startup but are in my mind closer to the the infamous garage, um, which are these people who oh, are making things. I call it famous. Yeah. I, I call <laughs> it proverbial. <laughs> proverbial. It is the American but, proverb. An infamous garage. But these people who are who are making things, um, and and things very specifically mean, meaning like physical things that are not necessarily ever looking to meet with a VC firm, ever. Um, and I'm, I'm looking towards people who are like crowdfunding things. You know, I, I'm not shy about the fact that I have a Kickstarter problem. Right. Um, since Kickstarter's founded, I've, I've backed about 50 projects. Wow. Yeah, I have Very a problem. Cool. Um, and I've, I have yet, talking about the ineffable, I have yet to back a project that did not succeed. Um, not just in terms of making huh. its goal, but in terms of producing the final thing that it set out to produce. Um, but you look at these sorts of things, and, and a lot of them are looking to make a thing because they want it to make it better. And that could be a board game. Mm-hmm. That could be um, a new wallet, a comb that looks cool. Um, and they're successful. And they make this thing, and they, they create enough capital from that to keep making that thing. But they're not looking for explosive growth. They're not, some of them are not even looking to be their full-time job. And I think we're seeing a lot of innovation in, in those areas, not in terms of you know, someone changing the world or building a future that we can say, aha, the world is different because of the microprocessor. But a a world and making a now um, that I am much more excited to be a part of, which is why I have a Kickstarter problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would give a, a local example of this, which mm-hmm. is uh, Ten Acre Organics. They are their mission explicitly is to design and build the most the most sustainable and productive ten acre farm in the world <laughs> as a model that can be replicated around cities everywhere oh, to provide replicated. to provide yeah. communities with the freshest, healthiest, most local, and most sustainable foods possible. Twice sustainable was used. <laughs> and and you know, this is there's a lot of ambiguity in mm-hmm. this health. It's a mission fresh, statement. <laughs> local, sustainable, like it's it's you know productive it's it's one of these things that like they're not looking nowhere in there is we want to make the most profitable 10 acre farm <laughs> right so there's sort of the notion of there are alternative values or mm-hmm. te- teleologies of innovation to uh technological disruption mm-hmm. uh, i think uh 
I, I want to bring up that, that Bruce Sterling in his like 2013 closing keynote at South by Southwest, which is notorious for being like a gathering of these folks who are all sort of in the startup space, yeah. technological disruptors, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, cautioned that that disruption is a, a violent act, right? Mm-hmm. When you are disrupting something replacing something with something else you are destroying something that came prior that was created by someone mm-hmm. right and and it is it is inherently a like a churning violent activity and uh, a lot of people who are you know in the startup space uh, you know uber for instance in disrupting the taxi industry you know whatever you think about it they, <laughs> they are have, they have they are changing and like upturning a lot of consistency and stability that a lot of people were relying on for you know income for their families yeah. uh, whether here or abroad like there's there's always an impact that goes beyond the the economic one mm-hmm. right well, and and, I'm and very so, glad so you brought this up yeah, yeah. I, I just so I want to put out there that like mm-hmm. it's interesting that we've been talking about success and right and everything and that I wonder where in the startup space this discussion is happening about well what did, you know what really is success in like a broader sense I think right? it's I think this is an excellent point to bring up because this is actually a big problem in Austin and I got to give a shout out to Ruth Glindening with her slow tech incubator best of luck as you get that off the ground okay. uh, but she has taught me a lot about this and I've learned a lot about this is that there is a movement called the slow tech which is a lot of what you're talking about the farms the production of new things that aren't necessarily scalable in a tech company with your glass windows kind mm-hmm. of thing and how think about it all of us here when we first start talking about startups and many people in austin which is a young town you're college educated you come from a middle to upper class background um and you are able to afford to work in a tech company I and mean, we have a very limited idea of what that understanding is mm-hmm. and it's creating an urgency to kind of improve other areas in that um so for example a good way to put it is out in east austin and northeast austin um mm-hmm which is generally a more marginalized and poorer area of town. First of all, very few people in Austin know that. We've discussed this you, on the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steven, you're a native. You're left out. Um, but many new people who move here, they have no idea that, what that we've is. We've talked about that on the and, show as well. Right, right, right. And, and when they sort of yeah, yeah. problems and, with that. And yeah. when they talk about the ups and the downs of the tech market, crash here, crash there, there are people in this town who didn't even know that there was an up or a down. They, yeah, they don't yeah. even know that there was a crash They just not. knew their property and, taxes tripled last year. And, 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 yeah, and even the, though they owned their home, they can no longer afford to live there type of stuff. So it's it's also really important to realize that innovation um, comes from anywhere and that we have a moral imperative, I would say, to actually bring up my first philosophical Ooh. point of the day. <laughs> that we have a moral imperative to pursue innovation in every way. However, the way that I would disagree is that I would say that it's about profit because that's how people put food on the table. <sighs> when it comes up with companies, when you're creating a board game, that's great if you want a Kickstarter or a board game, mm-hmm. but you still need money. You mm-hmm. still need to be able to do something with it. Well, so what, what do you think of the notion of, of human capital? Human capital is necessary. I mean, so what is what is human profit? Um, human profit means the ability to reap something from what you sow, mm-hmm. and because that allows you to grow more, to build more, and even if you don't want to do that, it enriches your community. Mm-hmm. You can start. Um, you know, paying for maybe that house that you're being priced out of with rent. Not everybody is going to be a rocket ship like Facebook, and we would hope that there everybody wouldn't work for Facebook because that's a world I don't want to live in. Oh but, God, right? You know, but <laughs> hey, everybody, it's, it's important. Read Dave Eggers' book, The Circle. Yeah, that's right. But, but, <laughs> if but you want to hear about the world where Facebook Wait, runs, the Dave world. Eggers wrote The Circle. Dave Eggers Seriously? wrote The Circle. Well, okay, so I haven't read The Circle. Um, oh but my God. Dave Eggers is is of course the editor of McSweeney's, of McSweeney's um, creator which, of the uh, Pirates of Life yeah. store and the uh, uh, all. Sort of, uh, yeah, I, I, like I, wonderful he's, things. He's, yeah. he's quickly become one of those people who's like, I would, I would like to take your hand someday. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read the circle, but a, I didn't realize that was his book. Yeah, watch his TED Talk. Uh, of course, he has a TED Talk. Yeah, he talks about <laughs> there's a place, um, similar idea, writing workshops for anyone to mm-hmm. just like come in and work on whatever you're writing. Um, there's a place called the Austin Bat Cave that's here in town. Same that idea. Uh, <laughs> why aren't we there right now? Yeah. Yeah. So, my, so, I guess the so point anyway. with all this is yeah. that we should have success and growth and innovation on many fronts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it seems like, it like should be success. judging the rightness mm-hmm. or wrongness of an idea or a company or whatever should mm-hmm. not be simply on the dimension of profitability. No. 
That I mean, should be I'm looking, <laughs> but not solely. It's funny because we're in Whole Foods here, right? I'm looking at like a board behind us where it's you know serving and supporting all our, our local and global communities. Uh, it, it's you know Whole Foods is sort of this. Uh, maybe a pioneer, but but certainly a, a large participant in this notion of conscious capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Of um, you know corporate social responsibility. I think was was the buzzwordy term of that's, a few years that's ago. That's super buzzwordy. Um, but where is like startup social responsibility, right? Where's where's like wellness traction? You know, where where are these sort of crossover ideas where you're you're, you're applying notions of quantitative or financial growth to what you're talking about, Danny? Like, mm. Are there any startups working on this where they're like, we don't measure our traction in terms of users. We measure it in terms of like, you know, blood pressure reduction or something. <laughs> you know? Well, those are Net called, blood those are pressure called spas and they also get profits as well. Well, um. seriously, you know, why are yoga studios like not valued so much i mean maybe they are Mm. because but like how do you measure the like wellness and community impact of somewhere like that which is you know having a psychological or physiological Mm -hmm. impact Mm -hmm. in addition to maybe a financial impact well i think that i think that those two things are not necessarily at odds um Mm. because if you run a yoga studio, you can have these kind of measurable impacts, and I'm definitely not the person to ask about that. I'm probably not either. I've never yoga. And but, also, uh, you know, cultural appropriation. But the point is that that yoga studio is not going to be around if they can't pay their trainers and keep the lights on. Sure, but, but that sort of, um, what it seems to me is there's, there's a, the hook they have in the community mm-hmm. is, it, it is like getting butts in the door or, or butts mm-hmm. on the mats or what, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, many yoga studios who bring the same number of people in may have a very different kind of impact on the community. Well, it depends right? what the community wants. It depends. Oh, on sure, them. sure. But, but like, like, I guess what I'm wondering is, are, are there similar like innovation engines in those sort of spaces as there are in, mm-hmm. in you know, of course, very technologically because, grounded companies. Of course, because we see these new innovations in the form of new companies all the time. Um, mm-hmm. New ways of doing things. I mean, you know, you look at Whole Foods, new ways of eating, new ways of drinking, um, when, and their partnership with the startup Instacart, you know, new ways of delivery. You know, there's a lot of different companies that are trying a lot of different things. Um, Center 61, Unlimited USA, there's all kinds of accelerators in town that work on social entrepreneurship exclusively, and they would be very cool people to have on your show to talk more about that. Center 61? Um, Center 61, um, Unlimited USA, I'm trying to think, there's several more, there's a new one going up uh, on the east side pretty soon, I think on 4th or 5th Street mm-hmm. in the old tire building. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot going on with social entrepreneurship. Where I have my doubts is, are you actually going to be able to exist? Sure, and because it seems to always, like the common denominator is can it always exist? profit. Well right? then maybe, like, well, then maybe a good question, maybe mm-hmm. a good question is, um, if something had to be funded continuously by a government to be, you know, basically it needed charitable support in order to survive. Um, does it as, because first of all, I wouldn't call that a startup. I would call that a charity. Uh, uh. Um, and is that, I guess, does that have the same merit as well, that, forming a company that, that can stand on its own? It's not getting the same amount of like yeah. financial capital. That gets towards right? the idea, though, <laughs> of, of the economic idea of the public good, uh, something that is a public good. Hmm. Um, the classic example we've used on this show before is the Lighthouse. Oh right, um, right. You know, a, a no one or foghorn, right, yeah. but nobody, nobody, nobody can profit from running a lighthouse. There's no mm. way to charge, or there's no way to discriminate um, someone. If if you are on a boat and there's a lighthouse there, you benefit from it. Yeah. You can't charge someone to access that, but it is something that it's the existence thereof benefits everybody. Then I think we're talking we more need... about government, aren't we? Well, well we're never not talking know, about government. And startups um, are beginning to encroach on that space, right? You, you know, you, you start to get startups providing um, public light or, you know, mm-hmm. public utility-like services. And, you know, God, you know, we're talking about the internet, right? Like, yeah, just, just got Title II, which just got let's title take two. a moment for that. 
Which, yeah, absolutely. Uh, props. <laughs> right? But that, what that does is it defines it once again as mm-hmm. a common carrier. Right? Yeah. Meaning that, that this is, we've sort of decided that this is a thing that's in the public interest, mm-hmm. that there is a public good provided by everyone having internet access, mm-hmm. you know. Or the it, potential for it. And, well, and what I mean, is that going to do, you know, to... <laughs> I, I think this is taken out a little bit too far, and here's why. Because oh, right. technology <laughs> is the designing of better ways to do things. Now, how we choose to distribute that kind of thing later can be decided, you know, is it going to be a government that funds it? But creating that idea in the first place and getting that idea off the ground does require it to be successful. It does require a team. It does require whatever. Like, what the difference being, we can talk about what kind of public good these light facilities and things like that are doing. <laughs> but, does, but what happens how you design the light in the first place? Oh. That has to have some kind of market value. God, it's well, got to work. Okay, so who's incentivized to design a better lighthouse? Right? Like I don't who's think anybody gonna, is. Who's, anybody who's who gonna, wants to sell it to the government as a contract. Well, who runs lighthouses? <laughs> Does do, do governments run lighthouses? I don't know I'm who actually sure. runs lighthouses. Because um, I think that's actually a really, really interesting thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, the, but then, like, okay, so who? Let's let's take this. Yeah. I want to I want to really like go th- all the way with this. We have about ten yeah. minutes left, by let's the way. Let's say <laughs> let's say I want to disrupt the lighthouse industry, right? I want to innovate a better lighthouse. Sure. Okay? I go to radar. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. That's true. That's true. Uh, And radar is a big idea. Let's say you know it's it's not a pivot idea. (laughs) Um you know, in in doing so, is some VC firm, you know, wh- what are sort of the routes that a VC firm would invest in me? Well, they're going to invest in me if the technology I develop to make the lighthouse better in some way is going to lead to a more profitable business, right? Whether it's selling that technology or licensing it to someone else to use in not lighthouses, right? <laughs> because <laughs> nobody's paying to use a lighthouse, right? Like, it, there's sort of a... There's well, a, government there's, is. Government well, buys things all the time. We were just saying yeah, governments get I mean, more involved. But, but uh, in the in the startup sector, I, I guess this is getting that's into an ongoing debate. You, you, yeah. you have a, like how many times do you have startups going after government contracts, you know, and looking for traction in like the DOD, right? I <laughs> like mean, to this. be honest, I know a couple people who are doing that, and okay. they've run businesses like, in this town. Thing. Yeah, but it, it, it's controversial. Like, sometimes there are groups that say, like, you know, number one rule of startups and getting funding, don't go after government contracts. It just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't sound like you can do an MVP, and, like, a government's going to be like, well, I guess for this fiscal cycle, we'll take a chance <laughs> on you. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem yeah. like a thing will, that yeah, yeah. happens. Like, Wikipedia yeah. has a whole section on lighthouse technology. Wow, well, all right. Yeah. So, but, like, lighthouse ownership, see if See, what's that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look. But I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is there, the, the nature of these public goods is... Uh, they're you, run by the Coast Guard. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. So Speaking I mean, of which, the military <laughs> runs on experiments all the time. I think it's the new F-16 or F-17, F-16 yeah. that they're building. That's an experiment. That's they, the government. Now, what it is and the difference why it doesn't really apply here is because it's not a startup. It's a it's huge R&D. existing <laughs> company. Yeah. It's but like they, but they Lockheed are Martin decides something. they're going to do a new jet and they like have a multi-billion yeah. dollar research but and they development. Are, but they are investing yeah. in that experimentation. They, the government does, in fact, make contracts off of things, that technology that they expect to see in the future. Yeah. I, I just so what, what you I, just, I need to share this is not related to anything else okay. it's just a quote that I want to share because I think it's amazing uh, the Soviet Union built a number of automated lighthouses powered by radio st- radioisotope thermoelectric generators in remote locations oh, those are cool they operated for long periods without external support with great reliability however numerous installations deteriorated were stolen or vandalized <laughs> yep. some cannot be found due to poor record keeping and the rest were we can't, we can't find these lighthouses. Uh, <laughs> and, they, and they have active radioisotopes. Yeah, we can't we yeah. can't find them. We don't know where that lighthouse is. And the is. rest were okay. Christian moon towers and moved to Austin, Texas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Surprise everyone. Yeah. The moonlight towers run on radiation. <laughs> Gosh. It seems like every 50 years or 100 years we get some technology that's just like super mysterious. Nobody understands, but it changes everything. So like 100, 150 years ago it was electricity. Like 
50 years ago it was radiation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, this generation, it's the internet. You know? <laughs> the internet. Yeah. The computing, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think what's exciting about the whole startup world is that it's not some guy, and this is what Eric Ries would more argue, like, innovating your way to a better lighthouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what Peter Thiel is basically arguing is I want to read that, that essay, by the way. What you do <laughs> is you have a guy who comes into your office and says, I've got this thing called radar. You know, it's not trying yeah. to find people to build those things. It's good ideas that should be chased by money, energy, the right staff, and time. So I want to I want to say one last thing here, which I think we're we're getting to um, before we wrap up the show. It, it, so in that situation, Peter Thiel goes. The the advantage of Peter Thiel is he hears I've got this thing called radar mm-hmm. that does X Y Z, and Peter Thiel because he just knows about a bunch of different companies and how they run goes, huh, that could do J, K, and L mm-hmm. for companies blue, green, and orange, right? Like he's, he's sort of, what he has is the ability to do what's called far transfer in memory, is, is to analogize, to, to bring this thing from one place far across a, a diverse network into another place and see what impacts it'll have. Silicon Valley, which I highly recommend folks watch, um, has an example of this. They have a like a kind of a character who's par- a parody of Peter Thiel, and um, someone brings in like a, a Burger King burger to him someday, and he's like he noticed that it notices that it has sesame seeds on it. <laughs> Does a little bit of research finds out that Burger King sources 90% of their sesame seeds from one place in Indonesia. He just read an article the other day that there is a scarab beetle plague in Indonesia that affects sesame seeds and asks his assistant to please short sesame seeds by a, a significant amount of money. That sounds like a for the next burger. And it, it's, one of, it's one of those things where it's just like he's connecting really weird, crazy, far-flung You're things. You're looking for what a good venture capitalist does? It's a guy who can be inspired by a burger. And that just, say. that sounds to me like uh, an artist. And maybe that's that's a talk for, for another time. I mean, they always draw me just that way. It's more art than science, which sounds about like this podcast, so. Well, yeah. you know, we would call this more art than science. This definitely is more art than science. Well, that's it's a good... It's a good tagline. <laughs> what, I guess, what I guess we've been getting at this whole show is is there's there's definitely more than meets the eye. The sum is greater, or the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts when it comes to a startup. And as much as you know, a lot of the talk around these companies is what Steve Jobs called speeds and feeds. It's you know how many megabytes, how many teraflops, how big a scale, you know how many users, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, very numbers particulars that you know one it, it's married to and playing jazz with these ineffable sublime organic human uh wolves we've been working with for and that's, uh, thousands of years and that's Still, the magic that's that the magic, magic when you can put yeah. it together yeah wow i think i think we're gonna go ahead and wrap early because that's that's a great spot to wrap <laughs> So, uh, Danny, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're working on in Austin and uh, how people can follow you and find you if, if you if you would. Oh, don't find like me. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. Do, um, you, uh, do you have a Twitter? Do you have any? No, uh, I don't have Twitter, and I don't use Facebook anymore. I'm a terrible techie. Um, can you say who you're working with? No. Okay. Okay. I cannot, cool. I cannot at the moment. We don't even know who you are. Uh, but I'm a bit. What I can say is that I'm a big fan. I think this is great. Um, and uh, I plan on being in Austin for a very long time to come. So okay. this, is, this cool. is exciting. Yeah, it's a good place to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kevin, where can folks follow you on the internet? Uh, Twitter.com slash Kevsond. That'll get you the most. Although I've actually posted on Instagram a lot more than I have Twitter lately. Instagram slash Kevsond? Yeah, I'm, I'm Kevsond everywhere. I, I play, am... I play uh, Heroes of the Storm as Kevsond. Okay. Like, that's what I do. Uh, I'm S. Torrance, S-T-O-R-R-E-N-C-E, on Twitter, and occasionally I blog at torrentsofthought.com, but I haven't posted anything there in a while. If you want, follow me on Torrance of Thought, uh, T-O-R-R-E-N-T-S. Like yeah, it's, uh, he, yeah, he's real proud of that one. It's oh. <laughs> good, I like it. <laughs> Double meanings, we. Torrents, E-N-T-S, at uh, ofthought.tumblr.com. I, I post quotes and things there occasionally. And, uh, we have a Tumblr. I think I follow you and, like, two other people. <laughs> it's, a, it's a vibrant space. 
It really is. Uh, I, have, I have some issues with it in the terms of uh, in terms of uh, co-opting original thought. Ooh, maybe um. that's, uh, that's a good topic for next time. <laughs> Find some local Tumblr people to talk to. So, uh, yeah, and you can follow us, of course, at uh, twitter.com slash badphilosophy, badphilosophy.com. Facebook.com slash bad philosophy. Yeah, we got good. all that. We got that. Nice. Yeah. We got it. We've been doing this a long time. <laughs> yeah. Slammed in on it when the internet uh, was born. Yeah. That's I right. I should also mention uh, Edelbert's Brewery, Austin, mm-hmm. Texas. My God, this stuff was good. Yeah. We we definitely sipped and pondered as their their label imports uh, <laughs> us too. As their label in, yeah. So uh, yeah, we we hope to see you next time on Bad Philosophy. Take a deep breath, walk in the conference room. Slideshow ready, ideas there heavy. Speak steady, be precise and capture your listeners. Utilize your I saw a Keep Asheville Weird shirt the last time I was there. Asheville's the city that they wanna, most compare to wanna, Austin. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. You want to talk about appropriation of culture, talk about something else because that's not related. Mm. <laughs> Actually, in Chapel Hill, it's so lefty yeah. that everybody rebelled when Whole Foods came to town because they bought out the local grocery store. Oh, what? That's that's pretty lefty. That's a thing. And everybody still calls it by its old name, too. Like, nobody calls it the Whole Foods. Everybody Ooh. calls it the uh, Wellspring. That's... <laughs> you need cash. You need desire. You need drive. You need to fuel the fire. Change the world. Create innovation. Start a business that helps the population. Time to execute and make it real. Attack your customers with a product and reveal. Get investors, you know they want in. With so much passion, it's time to begin. Step one, get a bunch of money. Step two, mm-hmm. step three, profit. That's that's startups <laughs> in a nutshell. Badphilosophy.com. <laughs> uh, okay.